Meet the narrator, David Hobbs. Hello, I'm David Hobbs, and I've been a narrator with Calibre for about five and a half years. Usually at this time in the evening I would be sitting down to record another part of a book for you, but tonight I'd like to invite you to come into my studio and sit with me while I tell you how I go about it, and perhaps I'll let you into one or two secrets before we're done. But first, let me just tell you a little bit about myself and my background. I'm knocking on a bit now, and retired almost seven years ago from my job as a control engineer, designing and building control systems for automatic machinery and industrial processes. I've always enjoyed reading. I remember, as a tiny child, sitting on my mum's knee as she read me stories while I followed the words as she traced them on the page with her finger. When I started school, they were surprised to find I could already read quite fluently. I first tried my hand at narrating back in 1989, when the Peterborough headquarters of the Royal National Institute of Blind People built their recording studios and were seeking volunteers to train as narrators. I stayed with them as a volunteer narrator until they closed the Peterborough studios in 2015. When RNIB announced the closure of their studios, I looked around for another voluntary role where I could put my audio recording experience to good use. A member of RNIB staff suggested Calibre, for which I am eternally grateful, and friends of Peterborough Prison were looking for someone to go into the prison to help with the storybook dads and storybook mums schemes, which help prisoners record bedtime stories for their children back home. This helps prisoners to maintain those all-important family ties while they are in custody, and has been shown to reduce reoffending as well as helping the children cope with losing their parent. I applied for both, and as it happened, was accepted by both, so, as well as narrating for Calibre, I've been going into the prison one morning a week, at least until the outbreak of the pandemic last year. My wife and I live in a large house on the edge of the Cambridgeshire Fens, close to the village of Stilton. Although we're in the countryside, I do have some significant noise challenges. The A1M motorway is only a quarter of a mile away, and the prevailing wind is from that direction, so traffic noise can be intrusive. Being on a working farm means lots of noise from tractors and other machinery. We have a small airfield about two miles away, and we're underneath the flight path, so aircraft noise is also a problem. There are other sources of noise closer to home. We have a wind turbine, which gets quite noisy in high winds, and we have peacocks. For those of you who aren't familiar with the call of peacocks, here is a little sample of what I have to contend with when they're in full voice. I do a few things to minimise noise disruption. I do my calibre work in what used to be our son's bedroom, which is at the end of the house furthest from the motorway. I choose my working time carefully, usually between 5.30 and 7.30 in the evening, when the tractors have stopped work, except during harvest. Most of the aircraft flying has stopped, and if one comes over I just have to pause until it has flown away. And for most of the year, the peacocks are not too noisy at that time. I do try very hard to make sure there are no peacock calls in the background, but it's possible I may have let the odd one slip through without realising. 
I've created a kind of little studio within this room by arranging items of furniture in a U-shape around a desk, with blankets hanging vertically in front of them to create a sound-absorbing surface. My desk is also covered with a blanket, so it's a very simple setup, but quite effective, I think. My microphone is mounted on a floor stand, and I always take care not to move it, and to place my chair in exactly the same position each time I sit down to record. This ensures that my mouth is always the same sort of distance from the microphone, and there shouldn't be any noticeable difference in the sound of my voice from one session to another. On my desk is the Calibre laptop computer, which does all the clever stuff and stores all my work. For those of you with a technical interest, the recording software I use is Sony SoundForge. I use the laptop mouse to set up the system, then I can just use the keyboard spacebar to start and stop the recording. I always have a glass of water within reach for when I get a tickle, and a bottle of traditional Chinese throat syrup that was recommended by Tim Bentink, who plays David Archer in the long-running radio soap. He also records a lot of audiobooks, and he found it helpful for lubricating the vocal cords. I have the book I'm reading in front of me on an improvised book rest made from the top of an old stool, covered in some lovely black and white Welsh tapestry. To my left is my calibre record sheet for the current job, where I keep track of which page I've got to, and the length of each recorded part. I have a Chambers 20th Century Dictionary, so together with Google on my smartphone, I can usually manage to sort out the pronunciation of English or foreign words. And the final item I have here is simply a notebook and pencil. When I come across a new character in a book, I jot down their name and make a note to myself of the voice I've given them and any notable characteristics. So, for example, I'm looking at the notes from my last job, and one entry says, Henry, rather deep voice, sounding like a preacher. When I finish the book, I keep those notes, so I can refer to them again if there happens to be a sequel and try to make the voices in the next recording sound as similar as possible to those in the previous one. Voices can generally be a bit of a problem, and it's difficult to know whether I should attempt an authentic accent. Generally, I don't, but occasionally I can't help just putting in a, a hint of an accent, which I hope doesn't offend any of the listeners. I once got halfway through a book before the author revealed that one of the main characters had a broad Irish voice. On that occasion, because this later became important to the story, and I'd used a neutral voice, I felt I had to start all over again and equip him with a suitable Irish brogue. But more often than not, I'll just use a variant of my own voice, but change the pitch a little. And that's how I differentiate between male and female characters. For a female voice, I'll just pitch my voice rather higher than comfortable. It's clearly been spoken by a male, but I hope it's obvious that it signifies a lady is really doing the talking. The main character I always do in my own voice, because obviously that is so much easier. For other male characters, I might vary the pitch or perhaps the speed of speech, or there might be some other characteristic that identifies a character, like the sing-song voice of Henry sounding rather like a preacher. I always aim for absolute accuracy, so if I've accidentally recorded he took the blue folder from his case, instead of, he took a blue folder from his case, I would go back and correct it, even though what I recorded didn't change the sense of the story at all. I'm quite proud that I've only ever been asked to make one correction. I had missed out an entire paragraph. 
As narrators, we each have our own way of working, and I know many of us like to read a chapter or the whole book through first before starting to record. But I don't. I prefer to just go for it. I find it sounds a little fresher that way for me, although undoubtedly it involves making more corrections later on. Back in the early days at RNIB, we recorded onto tape, so if we made an error, the only way to correct it was to go back and record again from that point. Because of that, we were taught to correct our work as we went along, otherwise hours of work could be wasted. Even later, when digital technology took over and it became possible to remove errors and insert corrections, we still worked in that old way of correcting as we went. But when I started helping in the prison, I found they had adopted an entirely different approach. Because they had limited time to try and record as many stories as possible, they found it best to just record everything in one go, mistakes and all, and then the corrections could be made as part of a separate editing process done later. I've now adopted that same technique at home for my calibre narrating, and I've found it works well for me. So, if I realise I've made a mistake, I just pause for a second or say, repeat, and then I repeat it correctly and carry on. Typically, I'll record about 35 minutes of speech in one session, which might end up as 31 or 32 minutes after the errors are taken out. The way I work is first to record this evening's new session. You might be surprised to learn that to get 35 minutes of speech recorded might take about 45 minutes allowing for such things as checking pronunciations of certain words, deciding on a suitable voice for a character and making a reference note, pausing for the odd external noise, getting over a tickle or a cough, and various other little delays that all add up. Having finished my new recording, I then don headphones and check and correct the recording from the previous session. This takes much longer. I listen to the recording at normal speed, following the text from the book. Apart from the obvious corrections that require the incorrect part cutting out, there will be other blemishes to deal with. For some reason, my hard C's in a word such as click sometimes sound like a mini gunshot, so I have to deal with those either by removing part of the associated audio waveform, or reducing the volume of that syllable, or in extreme cases by re-recording the sentence containing the word. There might be the odd word that's too loud, so I'll have to use the editing software to reduce the volume of that. All of this takes time, and it's not unusual for me to spend almost an hour checking a session's recording. So, typically, 30 minutes of completed audio takes about one and a half to one and three quarter hours, and that's before it goes to calibre for formatting, checking and transcription. It can take up to three months from the time I finish my recording until the book makes it into the calibre library so you can see there is quite a lot of work by numerous people behind each one of your audiobooks. I've completed 57 jobs for Calibre. I say jobs rather than books because it includes three that weren't books, two editions of For Your Ears Only, and one personal recording of a wartime diary inherited by a relative who is a Calibre member. They varied from very short quick reads like Six Foot Six by Kit Duval to the epic Penmarick by Susan Howitch, lasting over 28 hours, which I greatly enjoyed. In fairness, though, I should point out that, although I am credited with recording Penmarick, one part of the book was narrated in a female voice, although I'm not sure whose. 
I've received two letters of appreciation from members about my recordings, one of which arrived on my birthday and must rank as the best ever birthday present. I enjoy reading most genres. It's probably easier to say that there are one or two that I really don't enjoy, and my views are well known at Calibre. If I'm not really enjoying a book, it can be quite an effort to make it sound as if I am, and I think that's vital so far as the listener is concerned. I seem to get allocated a high proportion of books with foreign words included. I'm quite comfortable reading French, and can cope with Welsh pronunciation of individual words and phrases. I was at university in Bangor sixty years ago. I've done several books with Russian names involved, which I loved, and a whole load, in particular the Station series by David Downing, based in Germany. One of my regrets is that I never learned German, and I'm not at all sure how well I managed my German pronunciation. But I did make an effort to be consistent, even if not 100% accurate, and I certainly enjoyed those books very much. I've recently completed the latest in the series, Vetting Station, so keep an eye out for that in the coming months. In one way, I think of myself as a little bit like Winston Churchill. I do blub quite a lot. So books that include emotional content can easily have me with tears streaming down my face. This can be quite useful when trying to convey the emotion to the listener, but it can be a nuisance at other times. For example, it took me probably twice as long as it should have to record The Optician of Lampedusa by Emma Jane Kirby, because the true story of migrants trying to cross the Mediterranean from Africa to the island of Lampedusa was so upsetting that I was quite overcome and couldn't get a whole sentence out without dissolving into tears. But it's not all bad news. Sometimes the emotions can be stirred by a sensitive or passionate love scene, and I enjoy trying to convey those feelings too. If you ask me which has been my favourite of all the books I've recorded, even though I enjoyed Pen Marrick immensely, I would say without hesitation that my favourite was A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. He imagines Count Alexander Ilyich Rostov just escaping being shot as a traitor by a Bolshevik tribunal and being sentenced instead to indefinite house arrest in the luxurious Metropole Hotel where he currently resides in Moscow, but is warned that if he ever sets foot outside then he will be shot. The book is the story of his life over the next thirty-odd years in prison within the hotel and moved from his luxury suite to a cramped attic room. It sounds impossible, but the author manages to keep our interest throughout, and we meet many different characters who cross the Count's path. There are some lovely characters in the story, in particular an audacious little girl Nina, who befriends him, with a penchant for yellow, and a willowy actress, who becomes a more frequent visitor to the hotel, because she takes Count Rostov as an occasional lover, but they end up falling truly in love. The language in this book is elegantly constructed, the descriptions of the characters and the building are beautifully detailed, and there are surprises in store. I recommend it to you. But if I had to choose my favourite book to take to my desert island, it would have to be No Comebacks by Frederick Forsyth, a collection of short stories all so utterly different from one another that I just find it astonishing that they could all be created by the same author. To my mind, it is a masterpiece that perfectly demonstrates his creative skill. Unfortunately, it isn't in the Calibre library, 
No Comebacks is only available through Audible, a commercial audiobook company that Calibre doesn't currently have a purchasing agreement with. That's not to say it won't be available in the future, as Calibre are continually trying to fill such gaps in the library by working to develop new partnerships. Well now, we've come to the end of our little chat. I hope you've enjoyed finding out some of the tricks of the trade that I use. I said I might let you into one or two secrets before we finish, so let's see what we have for you. I've already let you into two. The fact that I'm often in tears while recording and that you just might hear an occasional call of a peacock in the background if you listen carefully. I can also reveal that because of some ongoing dental work, I'm currently missing three front teeth, so I do sound a little different, but I made sure I finished the job I was recording before the teeth were removed. I should have some new teeth in place from the beginning of October, so I hope my voice will be back to normal then. And my final secret is to tell you that when I left RNIB after my 26 years of volunteering with them, I received an invitation to a royal garden party at Buckingham Palace in appreciation of my services to the charity. That's part of the secret. The other part is that I politely declined the invitation, as I've never been one for dressing up and I was sure I would have to wear a tie or worse. No doubt someone else was pleased to go instead. There we are. You know all about me now, including my secrets. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll try one or two of my books.